0: Welcome to the Boombastic Cast We got a great guest for you this evening We're just going to go straight up into it And just have it, you know what I mean John Kazir, The Crypt Keeper (laughs) I do the worst impression of all time Of The Crypt Keeper, I wish it was better I'm more of a fan of his work Is what I'm going for, you know what I mean Alexander Hawk, how about you, how you feeling
1: I'm feeling good It's great to have him on the show Um I have to say uh, that uh, we all grew up uh, watching Tales from the Crypt, and uh, he's he, the Crypt Keeper is iconic. Yeah, and, he, and 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 it's also interesting, you know, you're looking at all his stuff. I mean, he has done a lot of voice acting. I mean, he played uh, Miko, the raccoon, in Pocahontas One and yeah. Two. Classic. Uh, He's done, like, World of Warcraft, Arkham Asylum, video games as additional characters. He's um, he's done so much uh, TV. He was in uh, Problem Child, the Animated yeah. Series, and uh, a bunch of others. And it's it's always interesting when, when you uh, meet different people and talk to yeah. different people. And
0: we're about to talk to John in two seconds because he's with us. So, ladies and gentlemen, without any further ado, welcome to the show, John Cassier.
2: What's up, dudes?
0: What's going on, John? How you doing? Good. It's it's an honor and a privilege to have you on the show.
2: You know, I wish I could say the same.
0: I know. Well, we're going to change that.
2: (laughs) 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 Dude, you set yourselves up. What can I say?
0: <laughs> well, that's what we do. It's good content. It's a beautiful thing. You know what I mean. It's all good. It's all good.
2: Yeah. Sorry, I was a little late. I'm the as soon as I tried to put it, go onto Zoom, it started updating the app on my oh, computer for some reason, and it took forever. I anyway, it's done. We're here. No
0: worries. Doing well. Zoom just up to up to the buck too. Zoom's trouble. I'm gonna have to get out of here. <laughs> Bad news, but we're doing good. How you doing?
2: Good, man. Good, good, good. I, you know, it's been f- full week, full month, full year. You know, uh, I got a full day on a Sunday. Don't ask me how that happened, but it is. I don't know how to switch my, um, it, it, it keeps showing everything backwards. It says, oh, mirror. It says, Salats ach dach kirk. Instead of oh tales from the Crypt.
1: That is that's ancient language, ancient scroll.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Let's see.
1: yeah, now if you see that three times fast, all of a sudden the cookkeeper will take over your body. That's and then- true. <laughs>
2: it's completely true. Um, uh, yeah, thirty years, dude, thirty years. So. Let's let's begin. I, let's I begin. Have, uh I got uh uh how long does your show usually run?
0: We usually run like an hour, hour and a half.
2: Yeah, I can't be on it for an hour and a half. I have to uh I have uh a um another thing that I have Engagement. to do at eleven thirty. Okay, cool. Okay. Let's go.
0: All right, cool. So how'd you uh I know that you you you're kinda of first embar oh there
2: he is. <laughs> Hello, kiddies You're,
0: I know your first embarkment into the world event You were always, you know, as a kid You were always a fan of, you know uh, I'm guessing cartoons and comics and voices and such And, you know, you broke into it with, uh, with stand-up Like you, were stand, you came into it at a time when, like You know, doing the voices and stand-up And just getting on a stage was kind of like the first foot in the door of getting into, like, that business, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's actually kind of a little bit of a complex, more complex story than that because I was, um, I mean, I studied theater, you know. I mean, I was a theater actor. I had my first profession, real professional job. Well, I mean, I had some small professional jobs when I was starting yeah. out even in college. But my first real, what I consider my first real professional job was an off-Broadway show um in new york and i moved to new york right out of college and um you know found myself in new york with no job after it closed after three weeks of inner fighting between the producers and the creative team so you know i uh i made more money uh street performing in front of the metropolitan museum than i ever made doing uh, theater in new york um and eventually i i got a really big break on a On a, um, a show called Three Guys Naked from the Waist Down, which I know it sounds like a gay review in the village, but that's not what it was. (laughs) Um, it was, uh, uh, a musical about stand-up comics. Uh, you know, think, um, you know, dream girls, but with stand-up comics kind of thing. And, um, it starred myself along with Scott Bakula and, uh, who we all know and love. And, yep. um, and Jerry Colker, who, uh, also wrote the piece. Uh, Jerry was, uh, an actor who had, you know, actor, dancer, uh, was in the chorus line on Broadway and, and, uh, Pippin and a number of other shows and his, uh, <clears throat> writing partner, Michael Rupert, who was a Tony award winning actor, um, wrote the music and it was, uh, and it was a hit off Broadway and it, and all of a sudden everybody was like, dude, you played this really, kind of dark, suicidal, Andy Kaufman-ish stand-up. It seems like you may be a stand-up. And I really, you know, had done sketch comedy And out of Baltimore where I grew up and went to school. We had a comedy group called Animal Crackers, which was kind of like their version of Second City. And, uh, you know, so I had... Uh, and obviously the street performing is, is kind of like a, <laughs> you know, a guerrilla warfare version of, uh, stand up. Yeah. Um, but I hadn't really done what you would, you know, worked as what you could call a stand up in clubs and that kind of thing. And I got approached by star search in its first season to come on and, and, uh, you know, they saw that me and the show, uh, three guys in New York and they said, Hey, we want you to be on, uh, star search. And I was like, what is a singer? You know, I'm, I'm in a musical. I can sing, but you know, they had Sam Harris on the show and he was killing it. And I was like, there's, I go, I can't sing like that guy. Yeah. And they're like, no, no, no. We want you to come on as a stand up comic. And I'm like, you know, I, I'm not really a stand up comic. It's a part I'm playing in the show. They go, well, you can win a hundred thousand dollars. I'm like, fuck. Have you seen my act? <laughs> yeah. uh, I'll be in the club tomorrow, actually working up my material. Yeah. So. I went on the show, I was flying back and forth from New York to LA doing the show and I kept winning, you know, I, I had done, you know, all kinds of fun stuff when I was a kid with my friend, Fred, we used to do the morning announcements in high school and do all, he'd roll me out on a dolly and I'd be a three in one machine, you know, kind of like a, I don't know if you guys are, might be young to remember Burns and Shriver, but they were, you know, guys like that, you know, these funny, funny comedy teams. Yeah, the teams. Yeah. And, um. So I had done that kind of stuff. I started pulling out bits that I had, you know, done since I was a kid where I used to do like the Wizard of Oz in ten minutes. Of course, they only gave you two and a half minutes on on Star Search. So I'd be like I'd be doing the Wizard of Oz in two and a half minutes. It's a twister. It's a twister, Dorothy! Dorothy! am! I am! Let me in, let me in. Do, 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 As coroner I must conquer, I thoroughly examined her. What's them? What's them? That's the castle of the Wicked Witch. Oh, Dorothy's in that awful place. Oh, I hate to think of it in there. Fellas, we've got to get her out. i got a plan how to get in there, and you're going to lead us. All right, I'll go in here for Dorothy. Wicked Witch and no Wicked Witch? Gods or no gods is just one thing I want you fellas to do. What's that? Talk me out of it. (laughs) You know, so that was... (laughs) Classic.
0: How young were you when you started doing voices real quick? You just got to know because, you know, it's one of those things you always hear. I was doing it since I was six. You know, I was doing it since I first could talk type deal, you know.
2: Oh, completely since I could first talk. I mean, I imitated everything on the TV set. Of course, you know, it was irritating to my family, but... You know, I mean, they had, what, three channels back then when you were a kid? If You, you know, you maybe two of them worked. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> You'd be standing there with somebody, be like, you know, moving the antenna and go, you got it. Wait, no, 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 you went too far. No, you you got it, you know. Yeah. But I used to get up in the, you know, in the morning as a little kid and pull the knob off the TV set so my brothers and sisters couldn't change whatever channel I was watching. Good tactic. You know. We had five kids in my family, you know. <laughs> yeah. if you didn't steal the knob, you didn't get to watch what you wanted to watch.
0: You got to learn how to survive, yeah.
2: Yeah. You know I, mean? I, I mean, I was, I, I used to, you know, I wasn't, I mean, I was a smart kid. I had a lot of common sense as a kid, but I wasn't good in school. I was dyslexic. They didn't really know what that was. And, you know, they, so they just said I was lazy and disruptive. You know, of course I was disruptive. I was trying to participate in my own fun, entertaining way yeah um you know oh you can't really say that to the teacher you're gonna have to go to the office you know yeah kind of stuff but um you know once i found an outlet for that i think i had like a third or fourth grade teacher that you know that uh after my second year and third second time in third grade yeah. uh who recognized that when i got in front of the class and read i read better but you would have me read poems in front of the class and stuff and take my test orally and that kind of thing. And that really, you know, that really, uh, gave me confidence to be actually think that I, I knew I could do that work, you know? Yeah.
0: And then he got so, out there and he did win that $100,000.
2: That's it. You know, I, I kept coming back and, uh, winning and, and I kept having to write new, <laughs> new bits because he couldn't, you couldn't repeat material until you got into the, like the semifinals and the finals. And in the semifinals, um, I I beat Rosie O'Donnell, who was just coming on the scene, who was obviously very talented. And yeah, um, and then uh, and then Sinbad. in the finals, I beat Sinbad. You know, yeah. who was you know who was uh, making a name for himself as a stand-up comic. I mean, there was a lot of good stand-up comics on that because I, I i mean when they first approached me i thought it was you know like only for amateurs but the especially the stand up thing was any stand ups who had well established themselves in the uh in the clubs mm. i mean they didn't have evening at the improv and those kind of shows yet so uh unless you were on letterman or uh you know um johnny carson or leno or any of those shows at that time um you know people in America didn't know who you were except from the clubs, you know, in your area. So, um, and you know, the next thing I know I'm, I went a hundred thousand dollars and, you know, I'm moving to LA and, you know, I'm getting my first TV series on HBO first and 10, Yeah. you know, playing a Bulgarian field goal kicker Zagreb Shkenusky. yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, doing some other stuff for HBO. In fact, we were even we were even trying to put together for me to do a a, a stand up special uh, with Whoopi Goldberg producing. That'd be cool. And um, we never did get that together. I just, you know, it was it was kind of like I resisted the stand up thing, not because I I didn't feel like I was good at it. I just Felt like there was guys who were actually better at it. I mean, that yeah. were like real stand-up comics that worked every day on their material and doing that kind of thing. And for me, it was it was more like I was bringing my one-man show to the stand-up stage. Yeah. And it was very effective in getting me sitcoms and, you know, this kind of thing. And then, of course, because I did a bunch of voices, I didn't really have any material, so I was doing all characters and voices in my act i think i i started to develop an act where basically i was a, a guy who was addicted to television and i'd stand in front of the audience like i was at a tubaholics meeting yeah. you know and uh i couldn't you know like sometimes i couldn't keep the lid on it and the next thing i know i'm like channeling star trek you know yeah. Or, or, you know, wild kingdom with, you know, all these different shows and flipping, ch- I could change channels on myself with a remote control. It was, it actually was a very effective act and eventually, um, you know, even wound up launching my own kid show on the USA network, but, uh, um, working for HBO, they invited me down to, they knew I did all these voices and characters in my act and said, Oh, you'd be perfect to come audition for Tales from the Crypt. And I'm like, wow. I loved those comic books as a kid. You know, I used to have to hide them from my parents. They were so, you know, as you guys know, uh, controversial, yeah. Now, what do you guys remember about the Tales from the Crypt comic books, or what do you know about them? Basically, do, do you guys have any, uh, you know, a, a, an idea of the background of the of those? Uh...
0: I, I mean, I get a slight. And I I know of it, of course, because of the TV show. Big fan of the TV show. I've bought a, I've <laughs> bought like a good amount of like the represses. You know what I mean? Re, just to have, just to have. They're nice to flip through. You know what I mean? It's a good vibe. Um, but I, you know, I've seen the the, the like the mini docs on it and stuff like that. I don't I don't have a you know yeah there's a
2: great you know if you have the the dvd box set you know the first uh, the first season of uh Tales from the Crypt on dvds they have a behind the Screams um dvd that that goes on about uh you know the uh uh you know how the the it went from comic book to to movies to TV shows back to movies and um you know and how controversial those comic books were in fact there are age codes on comic books because of those EC comics yeah now but you know they were like oh cause juvenile delinquency i mean it was it was as big as you know mad you know moms against drunks you know i mean it was it yeah. was it was huge they went you know they were petitioning congress to to <laughs> to, you know, get rid of them. Of course, there were other people who are like, are you kidding me? Your kid's reading for Christ's sake. You know, it's like you won't read anything else, but he's learning to read. It may be fun, gross things, but the kid gets it. It's not like he's like, you know, you know, become an interior designer and everybody's house is going to look like a cave. You know, it's just like, come on, what is going, what is wrong with you people? So, you know, luckily it survived. Uh, well, it survived to a point because, you know, what Bill Gaines, you know, who early on in our in our process, I got to meet a number of times was wonderful to work with, um, you know, was having su- such success with a lot of other things, uh, you know, including Mad Magazine, that they kind of let these comic books go to the wayside because they I guess they didn't need the negative press anymore. But, um, you know, there's the show i uh, you know here it was being an opportunity to audition for it and i'm sitting there thinking this is just going to be for you know kids that grew up with the comic books like me it's not going to be you know hbo really wasn't in every household yet it was right. you know you had to either steal the box or buy the cable or go see it at neighbor's you know kind of thing yep and um So I didn't think it would be such a big thing, but, you know, I, I was excited to go down to Kevin Yeager's studio who had made Chucky and designed Freddy Krueger's look and, you know, did all these, you know, the creature maker and special effects artist who is just at the top of his game and has remained at the top of his game, his entire career, you know? And so I I got to go into Kevin's studio and I was just, I couldn't believe it. It was just, it was great. And there he was making this guy, you know, (laughs) Uh, you're working on this puppet, you know, and it, there was, he had different versions of them. One of them had a nose, one of them didn't have a nose. I mean, he had, you know, a bunch of different stuff he was working on. And I was like, Oh, okay. I can see what he looks like, you know, and I know what the show was supposed to be. And I could see it, you know, these other actors who were, they had a, a, a casting director who was screening people first, you know, to see if there was, if they had something that he she thought Kevin would be interested in and I could see them in the room going, be careful what you ask for. Yeah. Oh, this is terrible. You know, I'm sitting there going, nah, you don't get it. This is Shakespeare to this guy. You know, I'm thinking to myself, you know, and I remembered how great it was to watch Alfred Hitchcock introduce his episodes on, um, Hitchcock presents and, you know, how dry and, you know, raised eyebrow he was, you know, and I'm like, this is, this is who this guy is, you know? And, um, you know, and because of his physicality and the holes in his throat, and you know, even threw in my wicked witch laugh. You know, I mean, I it's it's just like I was like, this guy's, you know, you could do everything with this guy. It's not just the idea that he's, a, you know, he's a creepy host, but he could, you know, he could imitate John Wayne. I mean, he could do whatever, you know. So I was like, if if I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna put all my own stand-up skills into the character. And as soon as I started doing it for Kevin, he was like, you could tell he had been sitting there all day, you know, listening to the stuff that just wasn't working. Yeah, and He just went, you know, started going
0: like, go, 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 go. You know,
2: I, he starts laughing. I start laughing. And I'm like, oh, great. The grip keeper laughs at his own jokes. And I just keep doing it for him. You know, next day he had me doing it for Joel Silver and Dick Donner, two of the biggest guys in the business, you know. Uh yeah. In their office, well, actually it was in like a trailer, uh, you know, off the set where they were working on Tales from the Crypt on a, you know, on what was a small budget for a regular TV series. But, you know, coming from HBO at that time, it's big. Um, big.
0: It's big it has a very cinematic, big feel to it. You know, The show does, you know what I mean?
2: Yeah, they put all the money into the production, you know, um, nobody really got paid what they should have got paid. But they, they had great people because, you know, I mean, they had access to whoever they wanted. As as big producers as they were. And the producers on the show were Joel Silver, Richard Donner, Walter Hill, Mm -hmm. Bob Zemeckis, and David Geiler, who was, uh, you know, who produced Alien. Yeah. You know, of course, you know who Walter Hill is, a big director, producer, you know, Dreamscape and 48 Hours. And I mean, Warriors. 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 Get mad to play it. I actually got to do a, a a show off Broadway with David Patrick Kelly, um, called The Glorious Ones at Lincoln Center, and we had an amazing time. What a talent that guy is! Yeah. But he's he plays the he's so good at the creepiest characters, but it, he's uh he's a trip. He's a real talent, yeah. um, musician and actor. But um, uh. You know, uh, there they were being able to get the, you know, actors to come, you know, actors who were like never got to do comedy that were serious actors wanted to come on. And then there was, you know, I mean, the genre started taking off and it was HBO and people were like, oh, okay, Joel, can I direct? It was like, yeah, you know, next thing, you know, Michael Keaton's directing and Michael J. Fox and Tom Hanks and Arnold Schwarzenegger and, you know some of these other effects guys who were, who, you know, Paul Abascal directed the episode that I was in, uh, oils well then ends well that I, you know, started as myself, you know, my visual self. Um, and who was a big, you know, who is a big, uh, you know, uh, effects, uh, and makeup artist and, you know, one of the opportunity to direct, he did a great job. So it was, you know, a playground for a bunch of people. They had great cinematographers. They had great, You know, and then, um, and then, uh, Alan, uh, I mean, and then, uh, uh, Gil Adler came on the scene, um, who had been producing Freddy's Nightmares and, Mm -hmm. um, as the showrunner and we hit it off immediately. We're still very close friends. In fact, I think we were supposed to have dinner tonight. Oh yeah. And, um, you know, Gil of course produced, you know, the movie Superman and, and, you know, um valkyrie and i mean great producer and and uh, as well as directed and wrote many of the episodes and uh along with alan katz um al katz his uh uh one of his writing partners uh who created a bunch i mean wrote a a bunch of stuff for the show including a lot of the fun stuff for the Crypt keeper um and we had a guy named uh I had a guy named Jack Wall who I loved. Jack was kind of like, you know, your old uncle. He's like, Hey, but, Hey, Booby, where, you know, you're going to be doing Bud, Bud, Light commercials as the Cryptkeeper Keeper. And, you know, we got a toy coming out and blah, 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 blah. You know, he's no longer with us, sadly. He was, uh, some of the best involved with this show or no longer with us. Dick Donner's gone, sadly. And, um, and Jack, you know, but, you know, Jack, I mean, I think that he'd probably still be cooking up stuff for the Crypt Keeper to do if he was around. <laughs> he just loved it, never stopped. Um, even after the years after the show was on the air, we didn't even have the rights for the show anymore. I mean, to do more stuff, but he was always trying to get them back and trying to do something with it and, and that kind of thing. Um, you know, it was a great experience for me. It also launched my voiceover career, which obviously was a, a natural fit for me. But at the same time, you know, getting the opportunity to be known as a voice actor and getting the opportunity back then to, to get work as a voice actor or to get representation as a voice actor wasn't easy. But as soon as I got that part, I got the best agent in, in the business. Uh, they were the ICM voiceover department at that time. Now they're, they're called DPN and have been for many years. Um, and, um, they've, I've, I'm still with them after all these years. I've never had a different voiceover agent because they're just the best. And we've had, you know, you're talking about nineteen. That would have been like nineteen eighty nine, nineteen ninety, just after the show came on the air that I that I started with them, and I've been with them ever since. And we we've done so many amazing things, and continued to do so many amazing things. I mean, in my, I'm very lucky. You know, I worked very hard at this, obviously. You know, I mean. Yeah. Five, six, when I said I was in New York street performing to survive, you know that was five six years I did that. That wasn't that wasn't just like a couple of months. You know, it was just like you know, a long time, and I stuck with it, and um, you know, paid whatever rent, you know, my measly rent I could, you know, living in a shithole in in New York, um, you know, to uh, survive, and um. You know, it's people think it gets easy. It's like, oh, you're one job away. Yeah, you're one job away from getting another job, but you're not necessarily one job away from having a career that continues. And certainly voiceover work because uh has continued for me because you know, I'm not typed out by how I look, you know, I mean, I, I got to play a lot of parts on screen, some really fun parts and actually good departures from who I am. But, you know, then I played the original Deadpool when he first came out in oh, games yeah. before he was in any movies or he certainly was in the comic books. And, and um, when they wanted to bring him to life, they thought of me because he talks to the camera and he was snarky and fun and, you know, quoting all these memes and stuff like that. They go, oh, let's get the Cryptkeeper guy to do it, yeah. you know, uh, but they were never going to. You know, they're never going to, um, you know, hire me to play him on screen. Welcome oh, to the gun, gun show. <laughs> you know, but. Uh...
1: <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Maybe Ryan Reynolds wants to take a day off, you know. Yeah,
2: right. Sure. Done, you know, I, I love Ryan Reynolds' Deadpool. Yeah. You know, I mean, I when they started out, when we first started doing it, I was like. Okay, you got. I've read these comic books. The guy's really irreverent, you know. I mean, they're, they're like, "Yeah, we wanted to be that, but we can't do the, you know, the language and stuff." Kids will be playing the game and stuff like that. And yeah. I was I was disappointed because I was like, "This guy can be a lot edgier," you know. <laughs> and um, of course, that's the way they went with it with the movies, which I love. It's really well done.
0: The Crip Keeper was very edgy and rock and roll in his own right. The thing you said, oh, about- completely. HBO and how you you didn't know how big it was going to be like I popped in I didn't catch it when I was on HBO I caught it when I went to Fox on Saturday nights and I I assumed that at that point when it made that switch well they were still doing HBO shows but they were on Fox as well and clean, cleaned up edited right that's yeah. how it went I think
2: yeah they had to cut them I mean they had to cut them down too for you know to fit into the um, yeah. TV format with commercials and that kind of stuff too so, But definitely for con- language and content, Um, you know, there was a lot of people that have come to me over the years. I mean, first of all, we never knew kids were watching this show. I you know, you know it, I, <laughs> I swore to to my producers, the kids are watching this show, you know. They're like, nah, there's no way. First of all, like, do they have access to HBO at all? You know, no, the kids can't be watching this show. Well, you know, I've grown to find out going to conventions and meeting people over the years and with social media and talking to people. I've grown to find out there were more kids watching it than our original adult audience. Yeah. And and a lot of that was on Fox. They they first saw it on Fox. And then when the DVDs came out and they realized how much edgier the show was than the versions they had seen, then they really loved it, you know. But um when it was first on HBO, I mean, you know, I so many people come to me, you know, they're adults now and they were kids at the time. They're like, "I'm uh I'm like I guess it sounds like this was your gateway drug to horror. Yeah. Which, you know, it I is. say, it, I say as a joke and that's the, that's the reaction I get. I don't get a laugh. They go, yeah, that's right. Yeah, it was <laughs> for me. You know, how could you go buy the TV set without hearing that voice and seeing that puppet and, you know, knowing that this was, this, this was the character that made something scary, something that gave you nightmares fun. Yeah. So, I mean, they actually latched onto the character as their buddy, you know, and as you know, there's w- women who go, oh, he was my, fr- we." my parents used to tease me that he was my boyfriend, you know, or people carried the <laughs> doll around and said, this was my baby. And, you know, this kind of thing. And you never thought of the crib keeper as that, but he was cute. You know, I mean, I like to think that was, that was, you know, part of the personality that we were able to, to bring to it, to the character, to, to make him fun and funny you know but that's that's you really the way you, part of the way he, not only uh he wound up but also was designed to work he was supposed to be the character that makes you know this is supposed to be fun yeah. you know it's yeah. very tongue in cheek if i had a cheek left. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah i mean i mean the great thing about the Crypt keeper is i mean like you said it was kind of like a gateway uh, drug to horror for a lot of young fans because it's, I mean, even though they did water it down a bit, like on Fox and all that, you still, I mean, the kids knew that, you know, it, it, it was, you know, the thing that they weren't supposed to watch. They, and, and, and when they watch it, they just, you know, it's kind of like tiptoeing on the edge. And the great thing about The Crypt Keeper is because yeah, he, he does look odd, he does look a little creepy, but <laughs> with your voice, with your, you know, uh, puns and all of that, I mean, honestly, kind of made him like the fun uncle, okay, I mean, the fun <laughs> uncle that's like, hey, Kato, how about you come over here, hey, I, got, I got some magazines to show you, you know, uh, to make you a real man, you know,
2: yeah. Here's some brains. This is yeah. your brain on drugs. This is your brain on Tales from the Crypt. <laughs> you know, and uh, so, you know, that was that was the idea. And, um, you know, it was very successful that way. They worked really hard to bring the comic book to life. I mean, they even used some of the pages of the comic books as storyboards yes, for how they were so going like to shoot that. the show. You know, Um You know, I mean, this crypt that they built was, you know, a real set, but a lot of the stuff that they had to build was like, you know, fake Spanish moss in the foreground, you know, made it look like you were in Louisiana when you weren't, you know, I mean, you know, things like that. I mean, they had to be creative, but that's that's what makes, sometimes makes something really special and timeless, too. I mean, you go back and watch Night of the Living Dead, and there's people carrying, like, butcher, stuff from the butcher shop in their hands, and, you know, they put a sound effects to it and a little girl with a trow and the sound and all those practical effects still stand up. And then you go watch something that has some kind of CGI to it. And it just doesn't stand up anymore because it keeps wow. getting better and better and better and better. I mean, it's like it's obsolete by the time the movie comes out, you know, but um, so practical effects are an amazing thing to, you know, bring to life. I think, you know, there's so many people that I've met along the way that, I go, what do you do for a living? They go, Oh, I, I, you know, I went, I went to school, uh, at uh, Tom Savini's school and I learned practical effects and that's what I want to do and blah, 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 blah. And I was like, that's so cool. You know I mean? You know, because it's something that's, uh, you know, that still dies on <laughs> and lives on. And, um, you know the show was really well done I mean i you know i i I could name you I could name you ten shows that I did over the years that you wouldn't either not even remember or not even ever have heard of and we had high hopes for those, some of them had some of the best actors in the business in them some of them had the best writers and show creators and you know I worked with people like Alan Burns who created you know, Mary Tyler Moore and Lou Grant and all these great big hits on television and you know, his first job was writing for Rocky and Bullwinkle. You know, what I mean, and um you know, and the show didn't for one reason or another didn't get its due because it either didn't get a good time slot or, you know, was too highbrow, whatever. Yeah. You know, and so you you throw all this shit against the wall to see what sticks and of course you never know what people are even gonna know or remember you from, if anything at all. And um but of course those big shows and stuff paid me you know, the big dollars that helped, you know, buy a house and have a regular life and you know, uh, save money for a pension and, you know, have a real life as an actor. But, you know, would I have liked some of the, you know, Three Guys Naked was was the show that not only made my career, but it also used more of my talents in that one show than any other thing that I've ever done my entire career. It was nothing that ever showed off You know, what I could do in terms of being a comedian and an actor and a singer and somebody who was funny, but also tragic and all in one show. And, um, but you know how many people saw it? You know, if the house was sold out 499 seats in the theater in an off Broadway house or whatever it is, 500 seats, um, you know, that's how many people saw it a night for, you know, less than a year that the show ran. So, you know, I go on. You know, I do one, you know, a leave commercial and, um, you know, that plays on Jeopardy every day. And, you know, 5 million people, 5, 10 million people see me every day, you know, it's just a different kind of thing. So you don't, you know, people assume your career is what they see you doing. And, um, I've been really lucky to string it out, um, Over many, many years playing parts that were much more famous than I'll ever be, which is great. I mean, that's that's to me, that's the fun of it. That to me, that was I did my job right. If people remember my characters, you know, wasn't you know you think it's going to be about you you start getting a career and you're like oh i want to be famous and you know i want to be famous cuz i want lots of money a <laughs> b i want like everybody to offer me the best stuff that you can do you know which you know you want to, uh, to make opportunity for yourself and you know but i would i feel really lucky to have made huge opportunities for many 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 years for 40 uh 43 years now uh surviving as a you know as an actor yeah. um exclusively as an actor for 43 years um, yeah you've got a
0: good career it's it's good to have those juicy things like crib Keeper. that the crib keeper is forever like forever
2: oh, totally. what's,
0: what's beautiful about the crib keeper is that you've the fans love you as the crib keeper so like you're in a place like kane Hodder, um where like if they tried to take you out of that position you know I know they were trying to do a reboot a couple of years ago with M 9 Shyamalan. Not, did we were you like? Did you get attached to that, or did it even get to that stage? Or
2: no, no. You know because you know I mean we years ago we you know they let go of the rights. The people that I produced the show, you know, they weren't going to keep putting out the money if it wasn't going to be on the air. Yeah, and um, and then when they went to get the rights back, EC Comics, the family, you know, William Gaines family. Um, had handed over to some, um, you know, legal team or something, whether they wanted money or they wanted to do something different with it. But, you know, nobody wanted to see it without our Crypt Keeper. And we're the only ones that could use that Crypt Keeper because that was our version of the Crypt Keeper. But at the same time, we can't pitch him as the Crypt Keeper and do new things with him as the Crypt Keeper without the rights to Tales from the Crypt. He could go get parts as another actor on some other show. (laughs) (laughs) He could have his own talk show, call himself the creepy dude. Ah, Thank you for sitting down with the creepy dude. (laughs) You know, and, uh, and I, this, this, that was Jack Wall, you know, my, my buddy who was always coming up for the crib keeper and stuff. He was always like, we're going to do something. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be called stories your mother never told you. You know, blah, 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 blah. We're going to have the crib keeper. He's going to call the creepy dude and stuff like that, you know, but, you know, but really they'd be, they'd be really, I don't want to call them stupid because they're not stupid, but I, I would, I would call them remiss if they didn't use, that Crypt Keeper and and that's what people want to see because it honored the comic book, you know, it, it brought the comic book to life. And these other ideas that they wanted to do with the show didn't bring the comic book to life. They, they were, they wanted to do like a, the same pe you know, like an American horror story where it's the same cast throughout different stories and stuff right. like that. And, and I was like, that's not Tales from the Crypt. I'm sorry. You know, you're just borrowing the franchise that's already been established by somebody else and using the name. And when it came down to it, they didn't have that crib Keeper. That was a big, you know, okay, well, then we're not going to do it kind of thing. Mm. And, you know, um, and our guys, of course, didn't have the rights. So they would have liked to have the rights back to do their own thing. So what they weren't going to just hand over the Crib Keeper to him, you know, Um, you know, uh, that's it doesn't work that way. But. You know it's too bad i mean the, the the good news is is there's 93 episodes of tales from the crypt there's three uh movies um which are really fun i mean demon knight is still you know Love people come to me and say demon knight is like in their top five horror movies ever wow. it's it's definitely in mine and not just because i was in it it's just it just is it's you got it's so well written it's so yeah. well directed ernest dickerson did such a great job he cast it amazingly. It has one of the best casts you'll ever see in any horror property, for yeah. sure. The music is great. It's got an amazing soundtrack, you know? Um, and, uh, you know, and the effects and everything hold up too on that. You know, I mean, they did amazing effects and animation. Um, you know, uh, and this, and the story is timeless. So, and it's funny too. There's so much, it. there's so much funny stuff, you know, when she has like, you know, when, uh, um, uh, she has no arm, and she's like, "He goes, what are you doing? I'm giving <laughs> you the finger." You know, it's like, <laughs> thinking, S-O. "Yeah, so <laughs> I
0: love it, dude." First movie I ever bought for myself, ever. Really, Demon Knight, <laughs> Demon Knight. Yeah, I went That's to it. It was a little gas station. Rental store at the top of my street that had it for use for sale, and I like. I was a kid. I saved up my pennies, and when I finally had the money, I went up there and got it, and brought it home. I was so excited.
2: That's great. Love,
1: love that movie.
2: So you couldn't buy I that. St- Go ahead. Go ahead, Alex. I'm sorry. He
1: still has it today. i I do. I'll- yeah, of course. That's
2: amazing. You know, I mean, you did. You couldn't get movies that way when I was a kid. I I would flip through the. I mean, we didn't even get the TV guide. I'd have to flip through the newspaper version of the TV guide trying to find out what was going to be on that week. In Baltimore, we had something called Twilight Movie, and it came on, I don't know, 4 or 5 p.m. or something when my mom would be making dinner. And I'd sit down, and they'd have everything from a Doris Day movie to Mothra. You know, all those movies were big then, you know, Attack of the 50-Foot Woman. And then they had all the Roger Corman stuff, um, House of Wax and Tingler and all those movies. But of course, then they also had the universal horror monster movies, yeah. which were my favorite. And I collected all those Aurora models. Yes. Um, you know, the Frankenstein and, you know, there was a, there was a five and dime or a, a drugstore down the block from when we went to church. So I would save up my like, you know, shekels, as you were saying, like a dollar. It was a dollar. I think one, the, the model was a dollar and the, you know, and the tax was a penny, so I had to have a dollar one or something. Yeah, <laughs> which, which ironically, I think is what they sold a bottle of Boone's Farm for when I was <laughs> in high school. But when I was a little kid, you know, you'd go, I'd go down there, and if I had a dollar from an auntie or something like that, my penny, I'd walk in there and I'd buy the next, or you know, Aurora universal horror monster model and build Frankenstein or Dracula or the, in fact, I, th- I still have, uh, my brother actually built this one was the, the guillotine, you know, it actually cuts off the head of the guy, you know, but, um, you know, so I, there was no streaming, there was no videos, there was no DVDs, there was no way for me to watch this stuff. I mean, I, I'm sure you could probably pay money and order, funny movies like three stooges or something like that on little super eight or or little reels or something and watch them on your projector um but i don't even know if they would have had sound unless you had a really nice projector but you know that was that's how it was so but and i loved that stuff and that's why i think the comic book was great because i that's something i you know i used to have to hide them from my mom i wasn't supposed to have those i had these (laughs) yeah Casper comics that like a, f- a friend of my sisters had given me a box of Casper comics. I was like, I'm not interested in Casper comics. And it had Archie comics and shit in it. And I was like, you know, which are great comics, but they just weren't my cup of tea. Yeah. But I would hide my tales from the crypt in them. I'd take the cover off of them and you know, so I could be reading and my mom uh, would be like, what are you reading? Archie? Okay, you know <laughs> Casper. You know, Casper, the friendly ghost. You know. Meanwhile I'm sitting there reading tales from the Crypt Comic Books, you know. Yeah. But, um,
0: I you know. I remember those Aurora those Aurora model kits way before my time. I would have collected them. I always heard Gilbert Godfrey talk about them. And I know you guys work together in the Problem Child animated uh show, the cartoon. You get any stories of working with Gilbert? I assume a lot of the same voice actors and comedians stand up world, maybe a crossover, you know, you guys met each other. You know,
2: well, yeah, I definitely met, met Gilbert. Um, Yeah. yeah, I mean, there were other comics that were very close with Gilbert. I, I I didn't know him well enough to be close, close with him, but we worked together on animation and problem child, you know, which had just all kinds of great people in it. But, um, Charlie Adler and, you know, he just really, you know, um, I think E.G. Daly was in that and some really, really fun people uh, over the years. I mean, I got to work with some great actors in animation over the years. Everybody from, you know, William Shatner to Mr. T, you know, who showed up on, and, you know, in the Savage Steve Holland stuff like uh, Eat the Cat and the Terrible Thunder Lizards, you know, they were, oh, this week we're, we have the Barbie twins in, and, you know, um, or whatever. But, um, but Gilbert was, you know, I remember when I, First, you know, after they said you're gonna be on Star Search, I, I was like, Oh shit, I gotta get myself into the club. So I went and showed up at Catch a Rising Star. And I had opened with my comedy group in Baltimore for Richard Belzer. And he had always said to me, He goes, You should be doing stand-up. If you ever show up at the stand-up club, he goes, just mention my name or you know, I'll get you on, whatever. And I showed up there and there was no reason why they would have put would have put me on except Richard Belzer happened to be there. And he was like, Put that kid on. And I went on and I followed Gilbert Gottfried, it was the first time that I saw him in a club. And back then, Gilbert was like, really, you know, he'd be doing his act anyway. You know, he would do half his act with his back, with it, looking at the wall, you know, his <laughs> yeah. back to the audience. And the comics would be sitting in the back laughing their ass off. And the audience was just like, why are they laughing so hard? This isn't funny. You know, but then he'd turn around and he'd have like a bunch of napkins. He goes, listen. You know, I want you to call somebody. This is going to be, uh, you know, is my doctor? I'm going to have him call you. And then he goes, he did some bit about people with, uh, he goes, there's people with a single name and they, they, you know, and they were banished to somewhere over the people with single names. And then, you know, and then they, they met up with people with the pretentious middle initial. And then there was the people with three names, you know, like Michael J. Fox and, you know, they share, you know, started with it. And it was just, I just was like giggling my ass off on the floor and it, and all of a sudden they're like, you're on and you know, I had to jump up there after you laugh. And I was like, Oh my God, that was so funny. And because I had so much fun watching Gilbert, you know, that it just made me giddy for my act and it gave me, you know, I mean, that was my first time um at catch a rising star in New York, working on a stage that had, you know, the best comics, uh, you know, ever. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, it wor- worked it from there. So, you know, I mean, I was always a fan of Gilbert's, I, you know, he, his, his, his real brilliance was watching him as a stand up. and everything else he did was, you know, be- because of that voice or, you know, or because he was just a, a quirky, interesting character. But, you know, when you're that specific, it's, you know, and there was a, a number of comics that were like that back yeah. then, you know, whether it was Bobcat Goldthwait or emo, yeah. Phil- emo Phillips or, even Sam Kennison You know, I remember walking into the comedy store and I didn't play in LA and I didn't really play that as much as the improv. I just had a better relationship with the people who ran the improv. So it was easier for me to just walk in there. And it was an industry hangout too. So you get off stage and you sit at the table with writers and producers and other actors and whoever. W- just got finished shooting their episode of Moonlight. You know, Bruce Willis would walk in after shooting an episode of Moonlight. And so it was an industry hangout. That's why I liked the improv. But the comedy store was, you know, a comedy club, comedy club. Everybody knew it. You know, if you were there and you played there enough, you got your name written on the wall and you know, they even may have put your picture up and you know, you'd you know, I'd a couple of times I'd play there. It was like I'd be on with other weird comedians like Jim Carrey, who was you know, doing his act double jointed where he'd like do the entire act with bent at the waist backwards, you know? Um, I'd be like, Oh my God, this guy would be awesome on acid, you know? <laughs> and, um, <clears throat> but I remember walking in one night and they had like an entire audience, Well, not an entire audience. They had like a, a lot of the audience was a bus of people, black Baptists. And, um, Sam Kinnison was there and he was like, put me on, put me on, Mitzi, put me on. You know, and he, he had, you know, he was an evangelist back in the day. So he had like this robe. He put on this robe and he got up on stage and he started doing the most blasphemous act he could do. I mean, these people went from laughing their asses off to leaving crying, horrified. And the comedians were just, I was just like, oh my, god how is they how are they letting him do this you know but he was beloved by the community world and you know, Mitzi shore who ran the, the club yeah. of course wasn't going to stop him but it was unbelievable you know i mean he probably started out with that old joke where he like rips one hand off and rips one hand off you know off the crossing of oh, oh, oh you know and he started from there goes, oh poor jesus you know blah, 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 you know and it's like uh <laughs> I just couldn't believe it. And these people, literally, he had them crying, you know, because they were all religious. They they got on their bus and left. And I was just like, "Oh my God, this is." I go like, "My standup is nothing. My my standup is pop culture. This is this is frigging, you know. This is going to it. church. This is going to church through hell. You know. I mean, this, <laughs> that's what that was." Um. So, you know, I mean, those, those were some good, those were some interesting years, but truly one of my favorite things to do as a stand-up comic was have the, uh, have the right to sit in the back and watch all the other stand-ups work. I never had to pay, I never had to pay to sit in the audience at a stand-up club ever in my life, which was amazing. You know, I really, really loved it.
0: Yeah, to be a fly on the wall, you know, uh, with some of the stand ups back then, you know, if you could have Time Machine take vacations and Time Machines, these not are places you'd go, you know what I mean?
2: Oh, yeah, not only that, you'd see somebody, and I'm not going to name names because they're, they, you know, there's some some of them hugely successful, but you'd see people on stage and you go, this guy is so like milk toast. He's not fun. You know, he's not, I mean, the audience is enjoying him. Yeah, he's funny. Um, He's not that good on stage. He looks like a shop teacher. You know, it's just, what is that? And then I see, you know, the guy's got his own show that lasts for 12 years on TV. Yeah. And you're like, oh my God, you know, I'm not doing something right. I'm, you know, I'm not putting myself out there as to, you know, I stopped doing stand up because I didn't have enough of myself in it. You know, I wasn't, there wasn't me in the act. It was me playing all these different things and being funny and certainly entertaining to the audience. Yeah. But, and um, uh, obviously it, it took me very far in terms of getting parts on one sitcom after another and that kind of thing. I made a lot of money doing it, but I didn't really enjoy doing the road. So I you yeah. know, avoided that. Well, but, you know, when I first won star search, they were booking me opening for like the temptations and the four tops on their TNT tour and Lou Rawls, you know, I was playing for like 5,000 people at a time which was more my style because I had come from the theater, mm. you know, playing a club. I mean, I didn't really have like heckler comebacks yet. I didn't have, I didn't have a rounded out act that worked in the club. And, and that was really fun to do to, to start working that stuff out. Um, you know, so it, it wound up being great, but to watch somebody who came out every night, you know, uh, uh, you know, it's like, oh my god, that stand-up has, you know, Jerry Jerry Seinfeld. Oh, look, he's got a he's got a a legal pad with new jokes on it. Okay, so his first ten minutes of his act, he's going to work on his new jokes, and then he's going to do his thing. And then, you know, next thing you know, he's putting all that together, and he's killing it. And then you realize what he's doing: he's putting together his next set for the, for the, you know for the Johnny Carson show. Yeah. You know, so. Those guys are, I mean, I had a lot of respect for those guys. But one of my, Truly my favorite. I don't know. Do you, ever, you guys ever watch comedians in cars? Getting oh cars?
0: yeah. Jerry yeah. yeah. show. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I love it. It's truly, truly my, truly my favorite interview show ever. Yeah. I mean, really is. I, I love it. And, uh, I wish it was still on. I'd, I'd, I'd have my agent go after to get on there, you know, talk yeah. about hor- horror and comedy and how that all works together. In fact, I did, um, podcast with Paul Provenza. That was uh, an old friend who uh um I'm trying to remember the name of the podcast. I'm really sorry, Paul. I can't uh, uh, I'm not remembering it right off the bat. Um, <clears throat> old brain. It happens. Um, I can find it. But um, if we. that's what we did. We talked a lot about the correlation between, you know, especially Tales from the Crypt because of the, the comedy within that and how Horror tied into comedy in so many different ways. I mean, my favorite horror comedy is still Abbott and Costello meets Frankenstein. You know, it's, it, you know, it's, it still is. <laughs> I love that movie as a kid. I remember watching that movie and there's a scene where they have, you know, Dracula has come to America from Transylvania or whatever. And he, and, and Frankenstein, oh, I don't remember how he wound up with Frankenstein or whatever, but Frankenstein is in a crate with like packing material. And I'm like, <gasps> Mom, you can order Frankenstein. You know, I'm like, oh my God, you know, look at him. He, he, he was shipped. You know, I was like, I want Frankenstein. You know, of course, I start looking through the comic books and I find in the back, you can order Frankenstein. So I order Frankenstein. Of course, it's a six foot flat cutout of Frankenstein, which sat in the corner of my room. You know, literally, I'd wake up in the morning, and be closer to the bed. And I know it was my brother, but I, you know, I would swear in the dark, it looked like it was getting closer to my bed all the time. But... I'll never forget that. It was just, you know, something amazing. That is Boris good. Karloff. Yeah.
0: John, we we know you didn't have a whole bunch of time. We thank you for being on the show.
2: Oh, please! I I really enjoyed it. You guys are awesome. Uh, I, I, you know, I did. Uh, if there's anything else you want to to. Uh, wanted to explore before we get off. I know well, we I did a lot of talking, but you asked good questions that sparked a lot of memories. So. Oh, thank you. Thank
0: you.
1: Um, Alex, what do you think? You got one? Well, I mean, actually I, I, I wanted to ask you about uh, the three stooges TV movie. Where ah,
2: something uh, close and dear to my heart.
1: That you played Sham Howard. Um, yeah. I really thought that was a really good, um, good uh, film. I mean, Usually, a lot of people like it uh talk down to like made for t v movies, but I think it's definitely one of the better ones and I definitely enjoyed your performance and everyone involved in that
2: oh thanks you know they really wanted to capture you know their life um it was the only the material that it was based on was the only um authorized biography ever written um about the Stooges and of course Mel Gibson was involved because he loved the Stooges. I mean, he used to do, you know, even in the lethal weapon movies, you know, he'd do all that stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, we, we, you know, young kids, especially young boys grew up with a, you know, with the Stoog, three Stooges. And I, I always loved the Stooges. And I always loved Curly. He was the most childlike. So we all loved him as a kid, but I loved Chimp because he was just so, he was so talented. He did so many different things that the other Stooges didn't do. And, um, so, you know, I was like, oh, I want to be a part of this so, so badly. I had such good producers on it and the director was great. And, you know, um, uh, uh, Jim Frawley, who was an actor on Broadway. He became a director and did like the Muppet movie and stuff like that. I mean, he was, which was, you know, you go Muppet. how did he wind up doing it? You know, Muppet movie is brilliant. I mean, those, yeah. those, those kind of movies to make inanimate things funny on camera along with real people and stuff like that is not easy to do. People think, think this like, oh, it was all cartoons. It was like, that's the hard shit. Um, but we had an amazing time. But when I went to audition for it originally, you know, I had all that hair as a young man. I had all that, you know, curly hair. So they thought of me to come in and audition for Larry. So I come in to audition for them and they they like my audition. They bring me to the producers. And in the middle of it, the producers are like, shit, you know what? You're a good Larry, but we, we have Larry choices. We have some good Larry choices. You know, we can't find our shamp we think you'd make a great shemp. Will you prepare that and come back? And I was like, yeah. So I went and got like, you know, some stringy wig that I put on backwards hanging in my face or I, or I wore a cap or whatever. I don't remember exactly. And I came in and I, you know, I did my shemp. and, you know, of course I, I knew that they wanted to tell the real story. So I did, I wasn't, I was like, they don't want to see an impersonation in champ. They want to see me capture the, the essence of this character. And that you could tell by the script that he was a very neurotic and, and unusual guy, you know, um, obsessive compulsive and all these things that, you know, that added to his brilliance as a performer, you know, and which informed me not only how to perform the comedy, but also how to, you know, bring him to life in the story. And it was such a good script. And so, of course, they hired me and, um, you know, the rest of the cast was awesome. I had worked with Paul Ben Victor before who played Mo. Um, Evan Handler and I had a lot of uh, mutual friends, but, um, you know, he, uh, but I got to know him pretty well. And, of course, Michael Ticklis was awesome. He, he and I were playing golf the whole time we were <laughs> in Australia shooting it. So they were going to shoot it in Australia. They literally flew us to Australia the day after the millennium kicked off. From Australia, I don't know if you remember, but they shot fireworks off from the bridge because that's where like the first place that time zone that turned, you know, 2000 and they did this huge thing and they were going to be doing the Olympics there that spring. And so their January, February, March, when we were there is their warmest, most beautiful time of the year. So we were flown to Australia, put up like literally I looked out my hotel window and there was the opera house you know the sydney Op- opera house and um so we got put up in a in an awesome place you know the four of us the rest of the people they they got from new zealand and australia to play uh americans you know the, the coastline still looked like malibu back in the day before it was built and they had all these old theaters they had a, uh, a, a an old warner brothers studio i mean a fox studio that, that we could use um, to play the old uh, 20th century Fox studios and all this stuff. And we had the most amazing time shooting that, you know, out of, you know, many of the different things. I think the only thing they ever had more fun doing was reefer madness. And that was because, <laughs> because of the, the material of the people that I would got to work with uh, um, on that show. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I just talked to Steven Weber yesterday. It was his birthday. I called him to wish him a happy birthday. We had an amazing time working on that in Vancouver. So yeah, definitely. And w- while we were shooting it, the network was loving the material so much. They were like, they went to Mel, Mel and the producers and they went, um, Neil Maron and, and uh Craig Zaden, who were the producers. And they went, Do, should we release this as a feature film? This is really good. This is not like your typical television movie. And they were, and Mel and the producer were like, no, you know why? Because, we're making this specifically for TV. We could extend the material and bring more things into it and that kind of thing. But we didn't hire Stark. Well, you know, we did not hire people because they were stars. We hired them because they were right for the parts. We hired you know, all these different things. And, you know, so like if we release it as a movie, it may come and go, but as a TV movie, Millions and millions of people are going to see it on Monday night on ABC. They, everybody watches those movies uh, back then they did and everybody will see it. So let's just stick with this. And that's what we did. But um, thank you for saying so, Alex, uh, in terms of its quality. It really was a, a wonderful film. You can still still see it. I think it's listed as like uh, maybe on YouTube or or maybe it's probably now on on some of the other streaming services. But I think they called it like Three Stooges 2000 because we shot it in 2000 or something. But it's really, really well done. Really well done.
1: Yeah, I really loved it. I thought, I mean, going with what you said, that honestly, when I was watching it, I was like, this itself could have been a feature film in theaters and all that. That's how well done it is. For sure. And And
2: plus we had access to home movies of the three stooges. We had access to their fam, whatever family members were still alive, you know, uh, Joe Mora and, and and other people, you know, um, so uh, that we had a, you know, the opportunity to really try to fill out these characters with what they really lived. It was a good script. We had an amazing time doing it. Uh, I'll never forget it. Shooting it for sure. Hey, Thank you guys. Hope it's a great year for you. Thank you for enjoying me, and be careful what you ask for. You may get it. (laughs) Thank you, John. You're welcome, guys. Have a good one.
0: You too. Thank you very much. Talk soon. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. That was John Kassir, the great John Kassir. Man of many talents. You know what I mean? That really great dude gave us a good chunk of time, which I love. I always love chunks of time, baby. And I think we did win him over by the end of the episode. You know what I mean? When he gave us that deals, I was waiting to see you and him go crazy about some Abby and
1: Costello. I know how, how much my boy gets down with some A.B. I mean, I, I was, I was, I was tempted, but I knew, knew time was short and I wanted to get in about the Three Stooges, because I thought that was a... Um, because, I mean, don't get me wrong, I love the Crypt Keeper and all of his voiceover, but since he doesn't do a lot of you know uh, physical, you know, be, be on screen himself, yeah. and I thought it was one of the best things that I saw that I really wanted to talk to him about. It. I wanted to, you know, uh, learn more about it because I really loved that movie. That was really well done, and I really loved his uh, performances.
0: Uh, he's fantastic. You know, I, I was going to, uh, if we had a little more time, I was going to bring up the fact that there's um, all the cool stuff, merch, side projects they have. Like, I happen to have, like, uh, uh, Bordello of Blood, like, director's chair from, like, the promotional deal. Uh, but I don't know if you ever heard it. It's a, I have the CD. It's Tales from the Crypt Christmas, mm-hmm. which – uh, it's a Christmas album. I was curious. Um, I think we might be able to get him on again in the future. Um, but I was wondering what the, you know, if he got any with his comedic background, if, uh, if he got to do a little writing on it, cause that's the comedy, you know, mm-hmm. have yourself a scary little Christmas. And they do the Christmas rap too, Crip Keeper rap, which is devastating. Uh, John a great dude, great dude. Alexander Hulk. Directed this one, brought him in, reeled him in. Uh, very cool dude. Um, would love to have him on the, get the show again, dive into some deeper things.
1: And, uh, yeah, man, what do you think? I, I, I enjoyed it and it was great. Uh, I mean, he had a lot of great stories and just talking about, you know, uh, you know, his startup, uh, the people he's worked with. And, you know, and, and of course the whole genesis of the Tales from the Crypt. Yeah. Uh, you know, the TV series and all the things that, uh, that came from it. Um, and of course, I, I think one thing that, that's, that's great about, you know, uh, uh, his story, which is a case if you sit down and think of about a lot of the people we talk to is that there's no definite way. I mean, I know. When I started doing this, and I know a lot of other people who started doing this, you, you want to go up, and you want to. ask, So, how do I get in the business? Do I get an agent? Do I get? An agent? And 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 the fact is, honestly, those who make it in the industry, there's no, um, no definite way. It is everyone ends up getting to where they have to be by different means. Right. I mean, he ended up doing. He didn't think of being a stand-up, but he ended up being a stand-up, and, you know, he started, you know, creating his characters, and then, you know, that branched out to something else, and he now, I mean, we didn't go through it, but he has a litany of voiceover, a work on video games, on animation, and, and he's constantly working and constantly, you know, doing such great stuff that... People will always, you know, think of him as the Crypt Keeper, but he's so much more because he's done so much more. And uh, I think that's one of the things we try to do in in our interviews and on the show of cast is to, you know, peel behind the curtain and see more of these people and find yeah. out and learn more about them. You know, how they became, uh, where they are, uh, what they've, they've, decide or they want to go on one path and then they ended up going on another and sometimes you have them that they're doing two different things that you don't even know about As you know kind of side things it's always interesting following the people down the rabbit hole and see where it leads i mean the the slight
0: burden i think of doing voice acting work is the fact that your face isn't there for you to get recognition, you know what I mean? Because he's been, you go as far, but in the early years, he was a part who did a, a little bit of moonlight. was on Moonlighting, was on The Facts of Life, you know what I mean? Uh, a bunch of television shows, you know what I mean? Killing it, dude. Really good, talented dude. The types of people we like to have on the Boombastic cast, you know what I mean?
1: But, but then again, you can also look at, at, at another thing as voice acting, actually being a huge uh, benefit if you want to keep on doing the characters and the stories, but you don't want to be, like, bobbed down by paparazzi and that kind of stuff. For sure. There's uh, the- I, yeah, there's there's a lot of people. I mean, you've got, like, Daphne Coleman. You've got Matt Frewer, Dwight Schultz. A lot of actors that, you know, started doing TV and movies and stuff that – You know, you see them mainly popping up in in voice acting world now, which, you know, they keep on, you know, busy, keep on making, you know, um, money and and getting themselves out there. So it's always interesting when you think you can see someone that you say, oh, he's a great actor, and then you don't see him for, like, years. And then you look at the IMDb, and that's because they – ended up doing voices for, you know, TV or movies or or so forth and so on. So if there's someone yeah. that you think is great but you haven't seen for a while, they might be doing voice or acting work because that is definitely a, a whole, whole a place of a lot of talented people. I mean, you've got those who can do one voice very well and they use it in all their characters. Then you have people who can do a million different voices. Right, Which is always amazing I'm waiting to see Alexander Hawk Do some more voices <laughs> I only got one voice Only one voice and that's what me That's
0: not what I heard But uh, oil's well that ends well Is all I have to say about that. this episode It was good times That's a good episode of Tales too Lou Diamond Phillips probably doing One of his best performances of all time And Priscilla Presley If I remember correctly was in it uh, Very beautiful you know what I mean? fantastic. But our boy I am so happy. Good interview. Very nice to have him on. It was cool. Cool stuff and uh yeah, if you like this episode, go like some more episodes of the Bombastic Cast. If you like making the Bombastic Cast happy, go join the Patreon page and make the Bombastic Cast very happy. There might even be you know, I can speculate because of the John Kassier interview, but I can speculate that as you listen to this, look around, there are new Strictly for Boombastic Cast fan perks, tiers on the Boombastic streaming page. So, yes, if you like Boombastic Cast, there's some special stuff just for you to link into uh, on the Patreon today as we breathe, live and breathe. You know what I mean. I want to say rest in peace to Gilbert Godfrey. I want to say rest in peace to Richard Belzer, who uh, seemed like he was pretty in, in, uh, influential in a little bit of uh, John's stand-up, you know, beginnings, which is good. Right.
1: And, and yeah. to jump off of that, I just wanted to say that um, in in this, as as, as he talked about uh, Belcher you know, uh, helping him out and, and giving, you know, uh, his his uh, words of encouragement, getting him on the stage. Uh, for those like us who are doing film, whether it's directing, acting, and all that, that is the most important gift you can give anybody. Okay. Mm. I know that I've worked with people that like to think of this as solely as a competition. I'm there to lead out you for this role and that kind of stuff. Right. And I think that's a big hindrance because I, I'm, not everyone's going to get the role. And, unfortunately, when you think about it, it's going to end up being, you know, you know usually someone who has a connection to it. Um, but if you help each other and, and build each other up, yeah. you both win. Okay? And when you both win, that's a beautiful thing. Rest in peace,
0: Tom Sizemore. I just seen a thing on the Facebook. It said, famous friends say goodbye to Tom Sizemore, 61 years old. I clicked on it. It was a tweet from Alexander Hawk talking about how great Tom Sizemore was. And I got emotional when I
1: see that. You know, Tom Sizemore's uh, a good dude. Yeah. I mean, I unfortunately didn't get to uh, actually uh, meet him or work with him. one, But I was involved in two films that he was involved in. And uh, I always had mad respect for Tom Sizemore.
0: Much love. Uh, him in Natural Born Killers is untouchable. Just for what he's done in Natural Born Killers alone, I always give him kudos. But there, yeah, he, there's a lot of great fit, flicks under his belt. And uh, rest in peace, you know what I mean? I, got, I never met him uh, or worked with him in any way, but I did enjoy his films. So, uh rest in peace, and thanks for the entertainment. Thanks for the entertainment, Heck Tom. Yeah. But with that being said, I think it's time to wrap this bad boy up. Heck yeah. Packaged up all nice, and we go back to Heidi Fleiss. Tom, this one's for you. And we'll catch everybody else on the next episode of the boom Cast. Cha. This show is a part of the Boombastic Media Network If you enjoyed it, check out other episodes Wherever you listen to podcasts If you'd like to watch and support the cause A little deeper, check out our Patreon Page at Boombastic Streaming That's Boombastic with two O's At Patreon.com for uncut videos, past and present, from podcasts as well as early access and all types of boom basket goodies. Our podcasts and films all in one place. Plug in. We appreciate you and your support.